Greetings, Hempster. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Hemp Aware Radio, where we focus on what's most important for your business and your life. Today's show is all about creating the healthiest soil possible to grow the richest, highest yielding hemp and cannabis crops possible. Whether you're a home gardener growing a few plants yourself or you're a commercial producer of hemp or cannabis, you're going to love and appreciate some of the nuggets our special guest, Alexandra Irons, will be sharing with you today. She's the queen of the sun grown, which uh, should give you an indication that growing your plants outdoors is what we're going to be discussing today and why outdoor growing is superior to indoor growing in many ways. And um, many years ago, when I first got into the hemp industry, I, I first discovered how our soil across the USA and ultimately the world is being destroyed and denigrated by the day with all of the monocropping, herbicides, pesticides, and lifeless fertilizers that are being used. We are just completely destroying the topsoil, which ultimately is making our foods and crops void of the vital minerals, trace minerals, and ultra-trace minerals, as well as the probiotics, you know, healthy bacteria, enzymes, and the necessary elements to sustain a vital life. And so Alexandria Irons, known as the Queen of the Sun Grown or Queen of the Sungrown.com, is a mother, a teacher, a student, and grower of everything under the sun. She teaches cultivators, large and small, how to manage their gardens holistically by using sustainable techniques that mimic nature. We can regenerate our land by improving soil health and emphasizing ecosystem processes. She can help you produce high quality yields with lower costs. And so that's why I'm so thankful to have her on today's show. And it's been far too long since cannabis was known for what it really is, an essential solution for our food, homes, clothing, plastics, fuel, medicine, and so much more. So if you're ready to take your hemp and cannabis farming practices to the next level, you're going to love this hemp episode today. And so without further ado, thank you so much, Alexandria, for being on Hemp Aware Radio with me. Thank you, Tyler. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So um, for our listeners that are just getting introduced to you, maybe give us a little bit about your background or your area of expertise and what led you up to working in the hemp and cannabis industry. Yeah, I would love to. Um, Basically, I went to college for natural science with an emphasis in environmental science. Um, I worked for the Nature Conservancy doing uh, ecosystem management for invasive species and endangered species. Um, But my whole life, I've used cannabis as medicine, and I've seen it heal the people around me, including myself. And I started... Uh, dating somebody when I was 26 who was growing cannabis um, in his garage, and I absolutely fell in love with the plant. Um, I've been gardening since I was just a, a little kid, and I've always been somebody who is like likes to be self-reliant, self-sufficient, know where my food is coming from, know where my medicine is coming from, um, and I really just... Like I said, I fell in love and I went down the rabbit hole and I went headfirst into it just learning everything I possibly could. I started taking sustainable agriculture classes. Um, I got certified in holistic farm uh, management through the Holistic Management International, um, Alan Savory. And 
then I got certified as a UC Davis Master Gardener and Composter and got very involved in the legislation that was occurring during Prop 64 in the state of California, which um, legalized recreational cannabis, which had been medical cannabis since 1996. So I grew up in California with cannabis being legal practically my entire life. Um, and so I kind of lived in this bubble that cannabis was widely accepted. And it wasn't until, you know, I started traveling more and going to other states and seeing that people villainized it and didn't see it for this beautiful, magical, amazing plant that it is. And so not only do I teach cultivators how to reduce their overhead, grow more sustainably, but I'm a huge advocate of the benefits of cannabis, but not only cannabis and hemp, entheogens in general, any um, plant medicine, we have really lost that connection to Mother Earth. And I, you know, it's my life's goal to help people reconnect with that. Amen. That's totally noble goal and, and vision. And it's um, no wonder that even the Bible says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And so it's, it's, you know, that connection with the earth and knowing that we're literally made of the earth. And um, so I, I appreciate the work that you're doing and really look forward to getting into some, some golden nuggets here. Uh, but before we get into some of the solutions, what would you say are some of the biggest problems right now or biggest challenges that, that um, hemp and cannabis farmers face and, and, um, and also just, you know, at, our soil at large, what would you say are some of the biggest um, enemies or, um, you know, destroyers of our environment and, and earth? Okay. Well, that is a loaded question, but um, I would say, okay, for me, my, the last six years, I was in commercial production, um, growing cannabis for flower production in California. And this last year I switched to education because I saw the problems, I experienced the problems firsthand of overregulation by the, on the state level with lack of regulation on the federal level. So banking, um, loans, the hurdles that you encounter when you are a cannabis producer in an illegal country but a legal state are enormous. Um, and then with all of the other states coming online, every, I mean, every election we see a new state is legalizing and hopefully we see federal legalization coming. Um, we're seeing our prices dropping drastically. It is right now the biggest hurdle for cannabis specifically and hemp. I mean, hemp is, has dropped incredibly. I remember 2018 prices were really high for hemp. Um, and the following year, it was a quarter, a third, um, even less. And so really having a strong business plan, cutting, reducing your overhead, and working out your business to be as efficient and sustainable as possible. So many people forget that the three pillars of sustainability also include your wallet, your economics, your money. It is not only the environment but it is your money and your community and the impact that you have on all three of those pillars, the triple bottom line of sustainability. So the Absolutely. challenges that we're seeing are definitely 
the business side, economics, how can you thrive, how can you grow your small farm, your sustainable farm, and compete with these massive uh, multi-state operators who have millions of dollars and can bleed and you know, operate at a loss for years, while we have, we're seeing small family farms who have been doing this for generations going under, unable to survive this. So that is what I see the biggest problem financially. And so um, it is my goal as a consultant and educator and grower to help people reduce their overhead by implementing sustainable techniques. And that would lead me to the next largest challenge that we're seeing outside of just cannabis and hemp, but all agriculture. They say that we may have 60 harvests left with the soil that we have available because of our extraction methods of farming. And so mm-hmm. that right there is a bigger problem for all of us, all of humanity. Absolutely. So regenerative farming and, and doing away with this monocropping and um, tilling the soil. And there's just so much um, that we can do, but it's, it's the education that is so essential, which is why what you're doing is, is so important. Um, so to kind of get into, you know, specifically cannabis growing or hemp growing, what, what is the difference between indoor versus outdoor? And why are you so, um, you know, such a proponent of the outdoor methodologies? Oh, look at your carbon footprint of running anything inside. I mean, it takes electricity. It takes way more immense input to grow something inside. A plant is a plant. For 250 million years, we've had plants. They know what to do. They have evolved to be thriving under the sun. And we can help them and grow them and domesticate them, but essentially it is just a huge waste of resources to grow inside. And so we've seen this discrepancy between consumer education on believing that indoor is superior and it fetches a higher price, but I would disagree. I would say that outdoor or greenhouse, you can get greenhouse uh, cannabis to the quality of indoor with a, a, a drastic reduction in the resources required to grow it, but still having somewhat of a UV protection from the elements um, that influence the appearance of the flower. That's really what it comes down to, is that outdoor, completely outdoor flower can get a little beat up and doesn't look as pretty as let's say, an indoor flower that hasn't had to go through the perils of windstorms, hail, rain, um, intense UV radiation, pests. But all of those things increase terpene production. And what are terpenes? Terpenes are the compounds that give the plant the flavor, that loud cannabis smell that we, you know, when we open up that bag that we come to love, when we know we've got a good strain on our hands. Well, that is increased when you're outside because terpenes are the way plants communicate with the world. And so by limiting them, limiting their interaction with all of these abiotic, biotic, environmental factors, we are limiting their terpene production and the expression, their full potential for their expression. We need to let plants be plants. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I've always been attracted to the outdoor plants just in – 
simple principle, you know, just being more connected to the earth. And I've, I've learned from other cannabis uh, connoisseurs and growers. Now, this is a theory, but I'm curious what your thought is. One of the, the ideas is that the, the resins that are produced, you know, within the flowers are a response to the sun uh, as being almost like a, um, a sunscreen or a, a protective, um, you know, mechanism against the rays of the sun. So by growing outdoor, you can actually get more rich uh, resins, more of the oils, um, as you're saying, you know, including the terpenes. Um, but what is your thought on that? Do you think that that's an accurate statement or theory? Oh, yes. Yes. There's um, research done out of Israel, which they have been studying cannabis production um, legally and university level for, like longer than anyone anywhere else in the world. And they have been publishing studies on the correlation between higher THC levels in um, higher UV radiation, so outdoor cannabis can express higher THC because it is, like you're saying, a sunblock to protect it from those high um, UV radiation. But as for, I mean, all of the rest of the oils, we don't even understand fully the complexity of the relationship of plants with the sun, but that is how a plant eats. That's photosynthesis. So we can mimic it and try to manipulate it inside. And hey, I am a proponent of growing however you can. Right now, I have a little tent in my garage um, with LED lights because, you know what, it's negative one degrees in northern Washington right now, and I need my medicine. My husband needs his medicine, and I don't disagree with anyone growing their own because I think that you should do that. So don't get me wrong. If that's the only way that you can grow, then you should be doing it, and being as sustainable and aware as possible. The LEDs sure. nowadays are a vast improvement on energy consumption. So there's definitely ways you can choose to be sustainable inside as well, but I'm talking about giant indoor warehouses that are growing for commercial production. Um, when we have enough cannabis production outdoors in California alone to pretty much supply the nation because California has been doing that before before it was legalized. Where do you think everyone got their cannabis? It was grown in California and shipped all across the nation. I mean, they say that there's like 10 times more cannabis produced in the state of California right now than what consumers could consume. Right. So what would you say are, are I mean, obviously – people are successfully growing cannabis, uh, but there's still challenges. There's, you know, mistakes that, that growers are making. What would you say are some of the biggest mistakes, whether you're growing indoor or outdoor, that, that most farmers are making? Like when it comes to the quality of the soil or maybe the nutrients they're using, is there like maybe the top three mistakes that people are using or, or making? Um, you know, I help clients. I have clients all over the world and, I think that the biggest mistake um, is really underestimating the challenges that you can face. They think, oh, it's, it grows like a weed, you know, Any, I can do this and have no horticultural background. Um, I, you know, I had a client this past year and it was his third harvest, third season, and he'd never grown anything before in his life, but he decided that he was going to, you know, 
grow a, a cannabis farm, have a big old farm out in Oklahoma. And he hired me and we turned things around and he had his best successful harvest this year, but he didn't, he didn't think about the challenges of mold issues, pest issues, and be preventatively taking action. I think having a strong IPM plan in place, integrated pest management plan, and knowing your genetics and your environment. So other seeds, when you buy vegetable seeds, you can look at your flower and your veggie seed and you can say, hey, this is, you know, garden zone 6B or uh, garden up to garden zone 11A. You know what I'm saying? And cannabis and hemp doesn't, they don't sell seeds like that. Why? I don't get it. I don't understand why because it's been so hidden before. But now with states all coming online, we should start seeing um, hemp and cannabis seeds being promoted for those specific areas because we have land races, right? Those are the strains that uh, were domesticated in specific regions of the world that have now been used and crossbred and hybridized um, across the nation, ev- all over the world. And we're seeing some traits, but right now we have, such, in the United States at least, we have such a diluted hybridization of all of these crosses and strains and everyone is growing whatever strain they think that the consumer wants you know the next type strain or what does what they're sold on without considering the lineage of the land race where they were originated from what um, traits they have are they mold resistant what terpene profiles show up in these oh is there high limonene that's going to be good for pests so those are the issues that my client in Oklahoma ran into. There's a lot of pests, there's a lot of bugs, and high humidity. So what do I do? I look for strains for him specifically that are pest resistant, with meaning they have high limonene. So that's any of those lemon strains. It's thinking, having the forethought to think about the challenges that you may encounter, solutions for them before you even in, encounter them. That's really, mm-hmm. I think, the biggest Um, the biggest challenge. And so you can take these not only by selecting strains, but by integrating cover cover crops um, to help attract beneficial insects and companion planting. Um, You know, I'm a huge proponent, hey, you need to bring in sunflowers all around your the border of your your field. Why? They're going to attract birds. Birds are going to eat insects, and you know what lives on birds' feet? Protozoa. Protozoa consume bacteria that unlocks more nitrogen. You're just influencing the soil food web. Um, bring in buckwheat. Uh, bring in oh, sweet alyssum. Bring in daikon radish if you have compact soil. Learn about your ecosystem. We as humans. Forget that we are a part of nature and we may want to say, hey, we're going to be cannabis growers, hemp growers, and I want it to turn out like this, but you are a part of an ecosystem, learn it. Understand what species are there, what their life cycle is, when do they hatch, and be prepared for it. I mean, there's the knowledge is at our fingertips. We literally have the world's knowledge on our smartphone, and all it takes is reaching out to the right person, contact me, Contact your local master gardener chapter. They have entomologists that will help you. Oh, what is this bug? Just take a moment to try to understand the natural world and you will save yourself hundreds and thousands of dollars. If you're taking this seriously and you want to make a business of this, be prepared for the challenges you will face because they will come. Mm-hmm. So what I got from that is really, number one, have, have a, a clear plan, an integrated pest 
um, management plan, know your environment would maybe number two is understand the, the geography where you're planning to grow and combine that or, or match that up with genetics that are common to that uh, region of the world so that you can uh, have a, a better result. Um, and then really understanding the companion crops and cover crops that work synergistically or holistically with, with the, the cannabis or hemp that you're wanting to grow. Exactly. And you don't need to know everything. You just need to know enough and reach out to people because there is, have a good team. There's somebody who's an expert in, in all of those different things. And it's just reaching out and having that, um, that humbleness to know that you don't know everything, but somebody does and just put in a little effort to figure it out. I think that that will save you huge headache, hundreds of thousands of dollars if you are really taking this seriously. I mean, the gentleman that I'm discussing, he spent a quarter million dollars lost the first three years. And if he had reached out to me sooner, he could have made millions of dollars when Oklahoma had just come online. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and prices were at their highest. And so I would say... No matter where you are, if you're listening and your state has just come online, be prepared that prices may be good now, but come two years, one, two, three years from now, prices aren't going to be the same. So build your business plan acknowledging that. Totally. So in terms of some of the the misconceptions, I know there's a lot of facts or, or things that are touted as facts about how easy it is to grow hemp and or cannabis, uh, how you, you don't really have to water it. Uh, you know, people refer to ditch weed and how it just grows. But what would you say are, are some of the biggest misconceptions about growing hemp, and, and um, how can we correct some of those? Well, you know, I would say that it does grow really well if you give it everything that you need, and that it can be super finicky, though, if you don't give it what it needs. And so I try to tell everybody, put your plants in the ground. Native soil, do it. They do not need potting mix, light, airy. Yeah, like, no, they don't ditch weed. It doesn't just grow in the ditch. I mean, it does. There's places in Arkansas where you can find it because us, the United States, grew hemp. It was something that every farmer had to do back in the day. Um, so it does. It, there are there's wild hemp growing, um, but nowadays people baby their cannabis or hemp plants, and I see fields of hemp or cannabis in pot, and I'm like, why? They don't need a potting mix. That is not mm-hmm. soil. True soil is in the ground. True soil is 45 to 55 percent minerals. All of those minerals, where do they come from? They come from rocks. Rocks mm-hmm. that have been broken down from weathering and from microorganisms, acids, enzymes, and all of those minerals that are in the ground are what you're buying in a bottle or in a salt bag to feed your plant. And when you mm-hmm. plant them into potting mix, there is a very limited amount of those minerals. And so you are going to have to re amend and feed them every year after year after year when you plant into a pot. But if you plant into the ground, you have an unlimited resource of minerals. You just need to understand how to unlock them. And you Mm -hmm. have a savings account 
of free nutrients. It, right. That, I think, is probably the biggest misconception is having to plant in a pot. No, plant your mm-hmm. plants in the ground. Totally. The bigger the roots, the bigger the shoots, the bigger the fruits. You will get the, mm-hmm. the first year I planted in the ground, I got a, three plants I got 15 pounds off of. My first season growing in the ground. Before, I had mm-hmm. been growing in pots, and I was lucky to get, you know, one or two pounds per plant. Instantly doubled my yield by just planting directly in the ground. Right. So in terms of watering, what would your recommendations be? I mean, obviously it's it's dependent on the environment, how much natural rainfall there is, but what is the typical, uh, you know, rate of of watering a a crop? Say someone has an acre and, you know, what would be the the methods for watering and, and how often do you recommend well, it depends on how large. Okay, so that's a, also another loaded question. And by the way, I do want to mention that I am currently teaching a living soil masterclass across the nation where I break down how soil is created, how you can determine your water infiltration, all of these, this information I go into in depth. Um, I will be in Virginia Beach and Richmond, Virginia, January 14th and 15th. Um, following that, I'll be in Missouri and then Boston. You can find that at growcastpodcast.com forward slash classes. Um, and we'll get into the nitty-gritty of all of this. But basically, I would say getting a good irrigation, I like to just use plain old drip line in rows for my you know, uh, fields of cannabis. Um, you can just roll it out and then roll it back up, make sure you're saving it, keeping it nice. Um, And I like to just make sure that the soil is moist. Cover it with a mulch. That's the number one thing you could do to reduce your water usage is cover the freaking soil, whether it's a living mulch or a straw or, um, you know, any kind of mulch. Think about thermodynamics. Soil is typically, if it's healthy and um, high in organic matter, it's going to be really dark. Now consider what temperature or what color absorbs the most heat. Um, That's black, right? The lack of light. And what reflects the most uh, light and therefore heat is light-colored white. So we see um, soil that isn't covered that is really dark, absorbing as much heat as it possibly can, that's going to heat up your root zone. Um, Or even worse, if you're in a black pot, think about how much hotter it is than if it was in the ground covered with uh, living mulch or straw or whatever kind of mulch you have access to. Um, And that's really going to reduce your water usage. Um, But making sure your plants are just nice and moist and it's going to be different according to what type of soil you have, whether it's sand, silt, or clay, your particle size is going to influence the pore space, which is then going to influence your runoff. And so understanding where, what, your soil, what soil type you have, what its um, water holding capacity is, which is really simply done. You can just dig a hole, fill it up with water, let it drain, fill it up with water again, and this is a 12 by 12 hole, 12 inches by 12 inches. Um, and then time it that second time. And that's going to tell you how long it takes for a gallon of water to infiltrate through your soil. Um, And that will really help you dial in your irrigation. But it depends on how large or scale, what kind of irrigation system you're going to get in. But keeping your soil moist um, and not letting it dry out too much is really 
um, cannabis prefers that. It, it doesn't like that dry back. So I've heard people talking mm-hmm. about this dry back, but your biology thrives in water. You're going to see microbial activity um, in those places that have access to moisture. It's really ideal to have 50% of your pore space of your soil to be water and 50% to be air. I really like blue mats for smaller um, scale. I mean, I've seen some blue mat systems that are huge now. They're really figuring it out. It can be cost prohibitive, though. But basically, they have sensors, the little carrots that are inserted into the ground, and they um, can tell the amount of water by the pressure, and they will automatically water according to the pressure of the water that is present in the soil. And so there, it's an intuitive um, system that will automatically allow the drip to fill the, the water at the rate that the plant specifically wants rather than like a drip system, which is just, you know, on a timer for a certain amount. And you have to go out there and actually see, hey, mm-hmm. what is my, my soil's moisture level? And you can do that with a moisture meter or your good old-fashioned, you know, finger test. Put your knuckle mm-hmm. in, you know, your finger into the second knuckle and see how moist it is. That's super helpful. So yeah, really understanding your soil quality, understanding your environment, and I, I love that test you recommended to, to dig the hole and observe the, the runoff. That's super crucial. Um, so you've, you've had most of your experience, or if not all, in cannabinoid and, and flower production. Is, is that right? Or have you worked with like hemp fiber or hemp seed varieties as well? No, I, I have only been in flower production. Um, like I said, cannabis flower saved my life. I was a very anxious, depressed teenager, and you know, Western society tells you um, take Prozac, take Zoloft. Oh, you have anxiety. Oh, you have depression. Take all of this medication and feel nothing. And so, um, cannabis changed that for me in conjunction with physical activity, which is also not talked about enough. The connection of the mind, body, spirit, that holistic health approach. And it has just been my passion to help people get off of prescription medication by utilizing cannabinoids, whether it is high, you know, I I honestly prefer a mid-level like THC to CBD, and I prefer my consumption in edibles. So I've always been uh, taking my flour and cannabinoid production into uh, concentrates, so oils, whether it's hydrocarbon extraction or um, solventless water hash, and then taking that um, concentrate and making edibles out of it because that is an excellent way for you to consume medicine over smoking. Some people need to smoke. My husband has cystic fibrosis, and that's a lung disease where he produces a lot of mucus, and actually cannabis smoking is a bronchodilator and helps break up the mucus and brings it out. So depending on um, your medical needs, there's different forms of consumption, but that's really been the bread and butter of my life's work with cannabis is really medicinal. Um, But I would love, love to get into um, more hemp production for soil remediation and hempcrete and fibers, um, you know, we we always fed all of our cannabis leaves to our goats and chickens, and then all of the goats and chicken manure was composted and then fed right back into the cannabis garden. So, um, so fodder cool. is an excellent use. Closing that loop mm-hmm. wherever you can, um, 
And I just hope that we see more processing facilities open up in the United States soon. I know that the um, we were talking about this earlier with the hempcrete. That bill was just passed that will um, put hempcrete on the approved building materials for the United States. So we should really start seeing a lot more um, hempcrete buildings, and that's going to be amazing because those are like carbon negative. I, mm -hmm. I don't know enough about it, but that's definitely something that I would love to get more involved with. For sure. Yeah, it, it's been um, over 18 years since I, I got into the hemp industry, and my focus has always been on the fiber and seed side of things. So I love having these types of conversations because I still have so much to learn, you know, as far as the flower and cannabinoid production. Um, but one thing that you, you touched upon, you know, just getting off of the pharmaceuticals and showing people how cannabinoids can replace a lot of these pharmaceutical uh, medicines. And um, I, I discovered, because I'm an etymologist, not an entomologist, an entomologist studies insects, an etymologist studies words. And I looked at the origin of the word cannabinoids. And it just so happens that, you know, we have these internal compounds or endocannabinoids, as you well know. And I just find it so fascinating that, that the endocannabinoid system was named after, you know, first discovering cannabinoids like THC and CBD in the cannabis plant. And so it's just so cool that, you know, humans now have this internal system that was named after cannabis or, or what, you know, the compounds in cannabis. And the word cannabinoid is a conjugation of canna coming from cannabis and oid, O-I-D, which is, comes from a Greek word, eidos, E-I-D-O-S, which means wisdom. And so I just find it so fascinating that cannabinoids are like these wisdom molecules that know how to interact with the different systems within our body, like our immune system and nervous system. And, and um, I, just, I just found that so cool and, and interesting that these wisdom molecules know what to do and, and how to uh, assist our bodies. Um, so I just thought it was a cool little uh, insight on the word cannabinoids. Um, but, you know, that speaking is. of cannabinoids, yeah, did you have a thought on that? No, I, did, I just didn't know that. That's really, really interesting. I didn't know I, the, the meaning of the word cannabinoid. So yeah. that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And cannabis is, is canna, which is like canine, and um, or canna as in like the cane, like um you know, the long, tall stalk is like a cane. Um, and then bis, meaning bi, or like a binary or, or dual system. And supposedly the Dogon tribe in Africa says that cannabis comes from the, the star system Sirius, which is the two-dog planet, um, or the two-star dog, as they call it. Um, so just a cool little connection. Um, but to kind of wrap up our, our conversation, one of the ideas... Or, or maybe misconceptions is that you can dramatically affect the terpene and cannabinoid output um, based on how you grow your plants. Would you say most of the cannabinoid and terpene profile and the level of, of cannabinoids and terpenes is, is based on the genetics or can you affect how a plant expresses itself based on your growing methods? Oh, you can definitely affect. Um, the cannabinoids and terpenes, the genetics will influence um, the potential 
and limit or limit it, you know, it'll have that carrying capacity for those um, terpenes or that can, can express themselves um, or the cannabinoids that can express themselves. But getting them to express themselves to their fullest potential is definitely influenced by um, how you grow them and the experiences that they go through during their growing cycle. So, um, for instance, um, I've talked about limonene and pests. So limonene is one of those things, one of those terpenes that um, increases when there are pests around. So um, we had a lemon meringue strain that was grown outside and then given the same cut to somebody to grow inside. And it, the, the levels of limonene varied so drastically because outside there were pests there was aphids, there were um, cabbage moth larvae. Um, inside, it didn't experience any of those things. It had a very uh, sheltered life. And the expression, I didn't even know that it was the same strain. I couldn't even smell the lemon, whereas the outdoor grown lemon meringue was like walking into a room that was just cleaned with pine saw lemon cleaner. And it was mm. intense, overwhelming. And so I've seen tests um, there's a guy, Brandon Rust, um, he's a very knowledgeable cannabis cultivator, um, consultant. He has a Bokashi earthwork nutrient line, and he does a lot of testing, and he just published um, some, he just shared some testing that had just been released on a strain that was testing very low in cannabinoids and terpenes, and then once it was given a different environment of um, living soil, grown in living soil, which, um, you know, is like using microorganisms and the natural systems and processes to deliver nutrients, its expressions were widely different, wildly different, and um, really when you think about it, you think about how a plant consumes um, or uptakes nutrients and minerals for these processes um, in a living soil versus a uh, fertilized salt-based fertilizer, um, the plant doesn't have to work for it. It's very similar to um, eating highly processed foods as a human. Um, sure, you're getting energy, you're getting calories, and you're living, but you're nutrient devoid. You don't have those essential minerals. You, you're lacking those. And a lot of people will eat, you know, all this fast food and then have to take uh, da uh, daily vitamins. Well, think about the cannabis plant um, that is consuming highly processed food in the form of salt-based fertilizers. It doesn't have to be um, solubilized or chelated by a microorganism. That's what happens in living soil when you're giving organic uh, matter in the form of, you know, like different amendments and you're br breaking that down, allowing nature to cycle it through, digest it through enzymes. That's what microorganisms, they produce enzymes and acids that then break down solubilize it and allow the plant to access not only, you know, that energy, but the minerals, and it's a much more balanced diet. And so when you are healthier, you are able to express your, be at, live at your fullest potential. And I love to relate humans and cannabis all the time because we require the same 17 macro and micronutrients, and how you live your life is going to influence 
your highest potential and how you that is just true for anything in life so anything that you're growing and anything that you're doing if you're not doing it to your highest potential giving it your best shot providing the best resources you're not going to see the best results I totally agree. Yeah, it's input output and just like, you know, there's running a car on 87 octane fuel and then you've got like a uh, a jet, you know, you've got jet fuel and, and how clean and efficient that burns uh it really depends or you know affects the output and 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 the energy output um and just like, you know, with humans we are cultural beings. That's why, you know, a, a group of people is known as a culture. And like you talked about the enzyme potential in, in the soil, the word enzyme actually translates to in culture. And so when something is in culture, it's, it's activated, it's living, it's alive, it's electrical. And so, and I think health is directly equated to energy. You know, when you feel low energy, you're most likely consuming low energy nutrients or foods that are devoid of nutrients, as you said. And so, having a, a, an activated living energetic uh, electrical soil um, is, is, you know, I've, I've, one of my mentors refers to enzymes as the spark of life. And so enzymes devoid in our soil means enzymes devoid in our food, which means that our own bodies have to produce extra pancreatic enzymes and, and, and steal from our metabolic enzymes, which requ- are required for every biochemical function in the body. And so if we're not, consuming foods that are grown in, in nutrient-rich soil, it, it, it just directly robs our energy. And so everything you're describing is, is, is totally accurate to my experience. And, and I love what you're doing and really appreciate the, um, you know, the foundational work, literally, um, to, to help our farmers. And, and we've just had such a disconnection between our soil and our food and, and humanity and, and, you know, like less than 2%, I think, of, of the population is actually farmers. And I think hemp is a way for us to build that bridge again. And, and you're definitely doing that with the work you're doing. Um, but, you know, just to close up, where can our listeners learn more about you, get in touch with you, and, um, and hire you for your services? What you're doing is, is so amazing. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, you can get a hold of me um, through my website, queenofthesungrown.com. You can email me directly at queenofthesunllc at gmail.com. And then follow me on Instagram and YouTube, Queen of the Sungrown. Um, I also have a Patreon, which is a subscription membership. Um, it's 10 bucks a month. If you can't afford it, I always give free membership. Um, and basically, I post a scientific... Uh, a written article based off of scientific articles that I, I just love reading. And so I will go and study what's going on in the scientific community pertaining to cannabis, pertaining to organic gardening, um, living soil, microorganisms, um, enzymes, which I freaking love enzymes. I'm so uh, excited mm-hmm. about everything that you said about enzymes. And so um, I post monthly written articles and recipes and um, I host a weekly Discord live voice chat um, that is behind the paywall for Patreon. So that's Queen of the Sun Grown um, at Patreon.com. So thank you, guys. If you ever need anything and you're listening to this, I'm always happy to share my knowledge um, and consulting, um, or if you just want to chat about life, philosophy, anything like that. I'm. This is my 
passion, my spark, my, my energy of life. So feel free to reach out to me, please. Right on. Well, thank you, Alexandria, for being on today's show. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another hemp episode of Hemp Aware Radio. This is your hemp entrepreneurial host, here to hemp power and hemp educate your hemisphere. Look forward to seeing you on the next show and uh, look forward to working with you into the future, Alexandria. Have a blessed day, everyone. Thank you. Bye, all. <laughs>